seconds flat. Give me up. Put it down, put it This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my God. Hello again, friends, and welcome to mile 168 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast, brought to you once again by Columbus Running Company. Travis here. I have the good doctor alongside me. Dr. Phil, Uh, how are you, my friend? I'm on vacation, man. I'm doing good. Heading down to uh, Disney in a day and a half or so. Going to go see Mickey and Goofy, all the princesses. I'm excited. You are my princess, buddy. And you are going to be boots on the ground for us next weekend at the Olympic Team Trials Marathon. I will be there. I will be covering it live in person down in Orlando. I'm, oh, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about your trip when you get back. But let's go ahead and kick it off then and preview that event. Sound good, Phil? Let's do it. All right, so next Saturday, February 3rd at 10 a.m. in Orlando, Florida, on the course that Dr. Phil built, the (laughs) U.S. Olympic Team Trials Marathon takes place. The course will take athletes on a 2.2-mile loop, then three times around an eight-mile loop around downtown Orlando. The eight-mile loop has a couple very mild ups and downs, but this is largely a flat course with a minimum elevation of 75 feet above sea level and a maximum of 113 feet above sea level. We see several long, straight stretches as well, so it should make for a fast course if someone wants to attack it. We'll see how much this is championship-style racing and how much this is Uh, let's say C.J. Albertson-style racing. Uh, (laughs) The question is, will the Florida weather cooperate? It looks good for vacationing, Phil. You should be excited. Uh, I'm packing the swimming suit. Yeah. Uh, My far too early Orlando forecast suggests a low of 52 on Saturday morning and a high of 68. That came from a personal text exchange with weatherman slash marathoner Tyler McCandless, (laughs) the early forecast. Looking at his Instagram, he is getting ready for that with the uh, heat training and his treadmill runs that he's been putting down. Oh, is he? Okay. Well, I'm not on the Instagram like you, Phil. Look at you with the inside scoop. I'm an influencer, man. (laughs) (laughs) So it's possibly a bit warmer than optimal but certainly not bad given the location and some of the fears folks had. And also compared to the original start time of noon could have been worse. You know, I'll stand by my earlier position of Paris is going to be hot, most likely significantly warmer than this on a more challenging course. Uh, I do like everyone else prioritize athlete safety. However, I think this is a fair set of circumstances to choose our Olympic team. Are you with me, Phil? No, I 100% agree. You know, I, 
I didn't have too much of a problem with the original noon start time. You know, I understood the the complaint that it was going to be a bit hotter, but Paris is certainly going to be much hotter. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other argument for that was to maximize the TV viewership. And, mm -hmm. you know, as a fan of the sport, anything that we can do to get more eyes on what's going on is only going to be beneficial. So, yeah, I, I think the organizing committee's compromise to move it to a 10 o'clock start. You know, I think it's 10-10. I can't remember for the women or the men. One group goes off at 10-10. One group goes off at 10-20. That's correct. Uh, I think that was a, a pretty fair compromise to create a decent weather window, but still get as many viewers uh, access as we could. Yeah, I don't know how much the viewership argument holds up when you consider that you'll have live coverage on the Peacock. And I don't know how much the non-serious running audience pays attention to Peacock marathons. Uh, and they'll go tape delay broadcast on Big Boy NBC at noon Eastern. So perhaps that is the opportunity to get more eyes on it. But overall, good compromise, let's say. And I'm excited for what could be a, uh, a very a fun, intriguing event. There is perhaps a bit more mystery to these races, in particular the men's race, uh, I believe, than in recent years. So, Phil, would we like to make some predictions that are sure to go wrong? Oh, mine are guaranteed not to be correct. Yeah, we are. We are <laughs> dialed in. Let's start with the men's race since I mentioned it. Uh, maybe not as many faces recognizable on the global stage as the women's race, which I'm a little more excited about. But there is plenty of intrigue for the first time in over a decade, really, as we don't go in assuming Galen Rupp is a lock to win. This time it feels a little more wide open, although I do believe there is a prohibitive favorite. Phil, do you want to take a stab here? First, let's pick the podium. Okay. Do you want to lay out your top three or do you want to go back and forth? Yeah, let's, uh, I'll lay out my top three and then, then I'll kind of toss it over to you. But really, before I do that, I think the, the biggest question is, are we going to be able to unlock that third spot? You know, that there's really been a whole lot of questions around, number one, just how many folks America will be able to qualify on the mm -hmm. men's side. And just to kind of briefly review, the, the Olympic qualifying standard is two hours, eight minutes, and 10 seconds. The U.S. has had two men unlock that time, which allows us to send two men that we select to the, to the Olympics. And then that third slot is still up in the air regarding a few of the, the qualifying standards that we may not have a third person going. The ways we could unlock that third spot would be if another person ran 208.10 or on the points rankings, which are complicated. But there is potential that even beyond this race Saturday in Orlando, someone in this field could go out and get enough points via another race in combination with previous races to unlock a third spot. So that is not necessarily sorted on Saturday if no one else hits the time. Correct. So I guess to talk about my uh, my predictions, I think the first one's probably going to be an easy pick, and that's going to be Connor Manns. Mm -hmm. uh, he just came off of a 207.47 in Chicago this past fall. Uh, he had a little bumpy injury recovery shortly after that. but Yeah, looks stress like he's reaction. 
Yeah. Looks like he's back training really well. He's put down some solid workouts. He's only done three marathons uh, historically, but another one was a 208. His third was a 210 where he tried to send it and ended up falling off the pace towards the end. He is a strong, strong contender. Multiple-time NCAA champion, cross-country. So I think going away, he's my favorite to win it. The second pick is really... Uh, it kind of comes down really to how I think the race is going to go. And because they're going to be a good many folks trying to unlock that third slot, I think we're going to see a handful of folks really try to go for it early. One of those is, is going to be my dark horse pick, CJ Albertson, oh, um, yeah. who we know likes to run from the front, uh, who we know likes to push it. This man is, uh, he's put a big fall together. Uh, he ran 211.09 at CIM. Then the week, two weeks later, ran 211.08. So he's getting faster in the Baja Marathon down in Mexico. I think there's going to be a group that goes with him to try to unlock that third slot. Oh. I, I wish everyone could see our faces right now, Phil. You're working so hard to sell me on this. And I'm in absolute disbelief on the other end of this. Oh, you just wait and see, Travis. I'm going to send you a video of him coming off the front on that second lap of the eight-mile oh, loop. I don't doubt that. <laughs> so he's your pick to finish second? Not quite. Let's, so let's oh, go to my oh, okay. I think is my second pick. I'm talking okay. strategy here first, Travis. Okay, thank you. All right. All right. So point being, I think he's going to take a lead group out of folks that still need that qualifier. All right. Let me pause you, though, Phil. Yeah. The, what fascinates me about that storyline is I agree with you. He will go out. It's who goes with him, mm -hmm. how hard and how long do they go with him? Because I question from previous experience that we've seen uh, him in big races, how seriously some of the very top guys take that move. It's going to be the next tier, the guys who feel like they have a shot Guys who have maybe in the past run 211, 212, mm -hmm. something like that, and want to ride his coattails. I could see guys like that going out with him. But yeah, he's not well, hes not your second pick. Go ahead. Well, I haven't gotten there yet. But okay. Of, the, of that group, to your point, I mean, there's 21 guys that have gone under 21130. Mm -hmm. There's only two guys that have gone under 20810 in recent qualifying time. So 21130 is the B standard. Correct. Yep. So my second slot, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Clayton Murray or Murphy, who he's the other. Wait, wait, hold on. Oh, Phil, you just picked an 800 meter specialist. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Clayton Murphy is not in this event. Are you I trying know. to, are you trying to, to edit Clayton? this part out? No, no, this is staying in. Are you picking Clayton Young? Yes. Excuse me. <laughs> oh, I'm, other American that has unlocked the slot for us. Hey, hold on. I want you to know, Phil, I got a very nice message uh, yesterday or today on Strava from someone who, uh, who actually will be running in this event, an uh -huh. Olympic trials qualifier, who reached out to say to you and I, I enjoy listening. Keep up the good work. And then we come back with this absolute disaster in which you pick a 2016 Olympian in the 800 oh. to go to the marathon in 2024. 
This is what they listen. Oh, we got people just absolutely locked in right now. Oh, oh that's uh, baby. <laughs> so Clayton, don't call me Murphy. Clayton Young, also for BYU, is your second pick. Third pick, though. We are coming off the track for this one with okay. Paul Chalima. God, I thought you were going to say, say, like, Dave Waddle. <laughs> <laughs> You're going Paul, Paul Chalima. That's He's fun. Two-time medalist from the Olympic 5000. His first marathon. He's got a 102-22 qualifying half from Berlin earlier in the spring. He's going with C.J. Albertson, but he's going to hang on barely for that third slot. So I actually really like that pick, Phil. He was my consideration for a wild card. Uh, when, when Benji and I did this four years ago, we, of course, made terrible selections. But where I hit was my wild card pick was someone who has not run the marathon but has a top flight half marathon has some track speed and I think can carry it over given the training. And that yeah. was when I went Molly Seidel and yeah. that one paid off. She became an yeah. Olympic medalist. So that was yeah. my wild card last time. So that's why I was thinking Paul Chalimo. I like that I didn't since you picked him so that we could do something mm -hmm. different. My wild card, I'm going to take a former guest who put together a really nice past year and in yeah. particular a strong fall. I'm going to go Andrew Colley. I like that pick, yeah. Yeah, he could be in that group that chases um, as a 211 guy that's willing to take a risk. He's finally put a bunch of consistent months together, mm -hmm. and maybe that just plays a role in his durability, what he can do at the end of this race in ways he hasn't before. Uh, he's my wild card. Yeah. I agree with you on the winner. I'll take Connor Mance as well. Yep. I am going to say the, the correct name of my second place finisher, who is in fact in this race. I'm going to take a guy who performed well in adverse conditions earlier this year at the World Champs. I like Zach Panning. Number, guy. I like number two, I'm going to go Zach Panning to cap off a huge year, and then I'm going to do it. I don't know that I want to do it. But when people start doubting him, the greatest of the generation, he might be able to measure effort in a better way than some of these guys who go chasing C.J. Albertson. I think he has confidence in himself and what he knows he needs to do to really put the feather in the cap on a tremendous career. I think this is the last stand. I'm not even sure what happens at the, at the Paris Olympic Marathon matters. This is the last stand, Galen Rupp, third. Mm. Yeah. In the men's race. And then Andrew Colley sniffing around. That's my top three. Uh, that's, that's strong because I agree. Galen Rupp, you know, he ran 62-37 at Houston a couple weeks ago. You know, this is his, what, fifth Olympic team if he would make it? Yep. Uh, we know he's a smart racer. He's, he's one of the best talents of his generation. That's a strong pick. Uh, and I'm with you on Andrew Colley, too. That, that's an interesting call for a dark horse. But the fact that he has had a really solid past several months, which historically he has not been mm -hmm. uh, as healthy or as consistent. And so being able to put a solid block together coming off of that really good race he had in Chicago, I like that. Your confidence in my selections makes me even more certain that they will fail. <laughs> All right, let's flip to the women. 
where despite missing Emma Bates, we have a deep field of viable candidates. Phil, I'm going to let you go first. We are getting three women into the Olympics before we begin our unlock the slots. Yeah. We will get three women. Phil, you want to go ahead? Sure. My first two, really, these are somewhat layout picks because they're the strongest qualifying times in the field. Number one, Emily Sisson. She ran 208.20 for her qualifier back in 2022 at Chicago. Past year, she ran 222 at Chicago. Just really strong, consistent marathoner. Former American record holder in the half. Number two? I'm a little less confident in, but had a really solid spring last year leading into a very strong summer. Uh, It's had a little quieter race result this fall, but number two is going to be Kara D'Amato. With her qualifying time coming in at 219. Number three, this this was a hard one for me because there are a couple from that kind of dark horse pick, uh, potentially... Molly Seidel is a strong option. Uh, she had a good Chicago this past fall. Questions, so again, though, was... about her health here just recently. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she did. I, and if she's healthy, yeah, she's got to be on the short list. Yep, she's on the short but list. But you're, you're probably looking more at, like, you know, like a 1,500-meter runner, probably, given your men's. Be like, you're going to take Sinclair Johnson here, maybe, Phil? <laughs> who, who are you leaning to? <laughs> Wait, you're getting <laughs> Travis, let me get there though. I got to build okay. some suspense. Okay, you're going right. to pick Jenny Simpson, aren't you? You rascal. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's step down. Other, others on that list would be Gabrielle Rooker, uh, yeah. collegiate gymnast. Uh, just a couple of years ago, she <laughs> ran 256 in her debut. I love but, that tidbit that you just brought in. That was good. She was a gymnast. Yeah, I ran 224 recently. Only a couple of years of marathon racing experience, and those times have been plummeting. Shakari Richardson? Shakari Richardson is she on your list? <laughs> My third pick's gonna be Jenny Simpson. Oh uh, hey, I love that. She's coming in with a 110 qualifier from Houston last year. Oh, she's multiple time Fifth Avenue mile winner. She has that finishing track kick to bring it home for that third place finish. <laughs> Nothing translates to the Olympic marathon trials like the Fifth Avenue mile. She is a championship racer, Travis. That is true. Phil, while I can't see it, I would absolutely love it. I think it would be such a fun story if she made the team. What a great cap towards the end of her career. Do you have a wild card that you would like to add as well? Let's go with Lindsay Flanagan. Yeah. Um, Which she's one that doesn't, I feel like, get a ton of press in the States just because – she doesn't race in America all that often. You know, mm-hmm. she recently raced Gold Coast with some really strong results against international fields. Mm-hmm. So I, I think she is a really solid option. I don't have her qualifying time in front of me, but I think it's 224. Mm-hmm. Um, she'll, she'll run with the front pack too, I believe. She'll yeah, put herself so. in the mix. Okay. You said the first two were layups, and I'm going to pick somebody else. <laughs> I am going to take to win Betsy Sena. Ooh, okay. I like her 10,000-meter track experience. Training's been good. She's a 221 marathoner. Come on, Betsy. Upset pick. There you have it. Nice. I will 
I'll go with Emily Sis in seconds. I do think she makes the team this time after some heartbreak in Atlanta on that hilly course that beat her up a little bit. I think she's better suited for this flat course. And third, I struggled a little bit, but I, I defaulted back to the most accomplished runner perhaps remaining that I believe is healthy, and that's Kira D'Amato. So I went uh, Kira D'Amato yeah. as well. Yeah, just question about Mally Seidel. Wildcard pick. I went back to my 2020 formula. I'm going to say Fiona O'Keefe. Oh. She had a very quick half marathon. Uh, she might be sneaking around the chicken coop. Keep your eye on Fiona O'Keefe. That is my okay. wild card pick. Okay. This is the race I'm excited to see, though, because yeah, you know, there's at least eight, if not twelve, women that are easily in the mix. They wouldn't surprise me. Yes, would not surprise anybody to make yeah. the team. Yeah. Um. You know whether that's Sarah Hall with she's coming over the two twenty two time. You know, I think your Betsy Sina picks a, a good pick. Uh, mm-hmm. No, it's going to be interesting to see how this race pans out. I think the men's race is probably going to be a little more exciting because there's a lot of guys that essentially have nothing to lose. Yeah, they're going to throw uh, punches, aren't they? Yeah, there's a lot of guys who will throw punches. Versus yeah. this, this women's race, is there's a whole lot of ways that this can pan out, and there's a whole lot of folks that are stacked really close together. All right, Phil, you'll be re- reporting back for us in a week when we give the results, and we look forward to see who's going to Paris. Uh, let's move to a quick race review of the Austin 3M Half Marathon. This is one of the premier winter half marathons in the country. And I had the great opportunity to travel down to Austin last week to run. I shouldn't say I had the great opportunity to travel down. The travel was an absolute nightmare. But I had the great Your opportunity. travel sounded to- like a disaster. <laughs> yes. Yes. Delay the flight. Sit on the tarmac get vomited on, et cetera, et cetera. It's all okay. You'll get there eventually. But I did have the great opportunity to run the race. And we want to give the audience an idea of what to expect if you choose to escape to Texas in January next year or any of the following years. I thought it would be a respite from winter as I left a snowstorm. But in the overnight, the first night, the low was like in the low 20s when I arrived. It did warm up for the end of my trip. This is a a nice event. It had something like 6,000 participants. So a good size field. Exceptionally well organized and operated from the pre-race communication to the expo and then on to the course itself. It was uh, super easy to navigate because it's point to point. I had a drop off, so that worked out well. Super easy to navigate to the start area. They, they had it set up nicely where folks with the elite bibs, uh, those of us who were numbers 1 to 60, could enter from the front of the corral right up to the very last minute, essentially, like right up to before the national anthem. The course itself, smooth roads largely, well-marked, just no issues. Uh, it's a point-to-point net downhill. It drops something like a couple hundred feet in some And it's certainly an opportunity to run fast, but I didn't get the sense as running that while running, excuse me, that it was as much downhill as that. Be interesting to compare it to the to the Greenville half on the Swamp Rabbit, because doesn't that to you feel feel like once you get near Furman that you're just like gradually downhill for a very long time? No, Um, that because the Greenville half descends. 200 feet? 300 yeah, feet? Maybe I, I a think, touch more. 
Yeah, they're similar. They're they're similar. Um, And they're both, to me, like mini CIM vibes in that you have some rolling hills and then you have downhill and then some flat stretch. Um, Like with the Gringle happening, once you get that five miles in where you get close to Furman, you know, that is noticeably downhill. Yeah, from from I-25 down. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty, I won't call it steep, but it's appreciable. And then it kind of continues along that gradual, you know, descending slope into town through the you know, the last half of the course. In this circumstance, at about mile nine, you have a pretty good poke uphill, but then you have a great opportunity for about two miles as you get a, a gradual downhill, a turn, and then another bigger downhill as you cruise toward University of Texas campus. So in like from 10, 11 toward 12, if you still have something in the tank, there's a pretty good opportunity to really move. Uh, there was another stretch in like mile four where you're on a uh, kind of a highway service access road when you went downhill and around a curve that and I actually looked back at my Coros data afterward and it was my fastest mile and I could feel why. But there are long straight stretches, some gradual downhill stretches. It's conducive to quick running. We had a decent amount of headwind last Sunday, so that probably slowed the times a bit. You're running generally north to south. My understanding of the Austin climate is that often that can create a tailwind this time of year. It had calmed down from the previous day, so it probably felt less than it really was even. But there were a couple stretches where we turned into it and I was not in a pack and I felt it. The course has changed slightly over the years in the closing miles, and I believe this iteration is not quite as runner-friendly as previous years based on the course maps I studied. We had two tough uphills and a number of turns from around the 12-mile mark in, and there was a series of years where they used a different uh, kind of parallel main road to head south, and you didn't get quite as much campus and quite as much uphill and just fewer turns in that stretch. Because of that and the point at which it comes in in the race, I'm not sure the race is quite as fast as its build. You have to attack it the right way to get the most out of the race, and you definitely have to be callous to some late hill climbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if if you run it right, it is a PR course. Uh, get the right weather, get in a good pack. I think it's a place to PR. Uh, the first half of the course isn't so scenic. You come through uh, in from the suburbs through some commercial and industrial areas. But later in the race, it's a very neat tour of some Austin neighborhoods, uh, the university campus, and then you finish right at the uh, state house. Neat finish. Austin's just a great town in general. It's eclectic. It's got a super food scene. The music's really fun. I give this event a hearty endorsement. I would go back. That's always a baseline for me. Would you go back? Well, yeah. Yeah, I'd go back. You've raced there before as well. I've, I've been to Austin once before, and it would be – it's a place that I'd consider down the road maybe. I would caution you against thinking, oh, this thing's just downhill. I'm going to run really, really fast in the same way that I caution people about CIM. Sometimes yeah. just a flat course can be faster depending yeah. on your strengths and weaknesses. But it's a very fun event. It's very well done. And I I don't think you would regret going here. And especially given the time of year, the other options, Houston the week before, Austin on this week, then again with Greenville next month. This time of year, there's not many better half marathon options. Yeah. Well, the real question is, 
where'd you go to breakfast after uh, the day after the race and what'd you order? Yeah, buddy. I was not feeling particularly well. I got a little under the weather also on this trip, in addition to all the other issues. <laughs> um, you pack it on of reasons that I thought I could run. I thought I was in shape to maybe run 30 seconds faster. So it wasn't a, a bad performance, but it was a little disappointing. And frankly, it, it, we're about transparency here, Phil. It's an important reminder of um, mental approach to the race. Where are you emotionally? We run best when we are happiest. We run best when we're at peace and confident. And I was carrying a little emotional baggage into this one too. And I think that had an impact as well. So, you know, in that way, perfect storm, but heck, I'm pretty proud of getting there after even just getting there, right? With all the travel yeah, and, yeah. and enjoying it. Back to answer your question. Sorry to diverge there. The day after meal, a sausage, egg, and cheese on a biscuit mm. and a lemon blueberry pancake. Ooh. That was pretty good. And then why stop there? Later in the day, burger and milkshake, Oreo milkshake. Oh, yeah. That sounds like it's worth the trip. And laid around and watched a little bit of the uh, NFL playoffs and then got out and and saw the sights. A lot of good history in Austin. So, yeah, fun trip for sure. Okay, Phil, let's wrap for tonight with uh, something we had hoped to do a couple weeks ago. We're finally getting around to it. Now we've had so much content in the last couple episodes. Uh, That's our always favorite discussion of shoe of the year for 2023. My shoes of the year in 2023 did not change a ton from 2022. So I'm going to leave this open to you. And then I'm going to come back with what I'm excited to see in 2024, because there's some new stuff that I'm looking forward to putting some miles on. So Phil, you got a shoe of the year. Yeah. So, well, first to give a little bit of background in terms of what I typically like to run in and kind of what my quiver has looked like, because really I I haven't gone through a ton of shoes this year because most of the back half of the year, I wasn't putting in a ton of miles with recovering from the, the stress fracture and what have you. Uh, so most of what I've been in this, in this year was the the Super Blast from ASICS, which really was a 2022 release. But a great um, shoe. Oh, it's been a, a fantastic shoe coming out again with a second release, not second edition, but just the updated colors. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's uh, correct. And the second edition will come out later in 24. The other one that I spent a lot of time in this year was the Hoka Clifton 9, which, you know, Clifton's a shoe that has consistently been in my stable really since version one. This was another solid iteration. Nothing terribly exciting, but it was what the Clifton is kind of supposed to be. Better um, than the previous edition, too. I thought the, yeah, much. the slightly yeah, was wider nice last was a good upgrade. Yeah. yeah. The Nova Blast 3, which from Asics, which kind of overlapped a good bit from a use perspective with the super blast initially was a fan of this one but recently have kind of fallen out of love with it because it, okay. it's kind of degraded a bit and just the ride's almost mushy to me and then the endorphin speed from Salkany is another one i put a ton of miles in uh, a little bit different twist from the endorphin speed to a little bit heavier a little bit wider so more stable mm-hmm. uh so a bit more versatile, but not quite as poppy as the version two. I'm very excited about version four coming out pretty soon, though. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's a spring release. Then the the shoe that I've been most excited about is the new 1080, the version 13, which yeah. uh, version 12, I 
really didn't even have on my foot just because it wasn't a consideration with how much weight is gained from the version 11. Version 11 was, that's on my short list of shoes. I think I was in four variations of that one. And when, when 13 came out, this got that magic back. It has been a fantastic shoe. It's got a really nice transition to it with a soft landing, but a nice rockered forefoot. So you really roll over the shoe rather than trying to feel like you're, you're forcing off the toe. Uh, it's a relatively wide platform. So even if you have some pronation or stability issues, it's a really stable platform. It works pretty well in a lot of different conditions, whether that's you know, asphalt or concrete or even on some gravel or dirt roads. Uh, traction's adequate for a lot of different terrain. Um, and to me, it has really just become a good like, daily mileage workhorse shoe. So I, I have had a blast running that shoe these past, well, I guess, a couple of months. Yeah, good pick. How many miles do you think you have on yours, Phil? Mm, currently, probably 150. Okay. Um, I'm, uh, I would say I'm more around 300 now. Mm -hmm. I'd say I'm nearing 300. We reviewed this several months ago. I like the shoe more than I did with my first impressions. And I liked it yeah. in my first impressions. But after yeah. this uh, amount of wear, because it's actually, it, it has worn better than I anticipated. It I know when, when we first reviewed it, you had some concerns about the durability and longevity. And if, if that, the magic of the cushion would sustain yeah. over, over the duration. I am just now starting to see a little bit of concern with some lateral stability based on the way that I supinate. I do know looking ahead a year, the next iteration of this shoe, that is the one minor change that they are making to the shoe. So I'm super excited uh, about yeah. the 14th edition. But yeah, I've gone to this shoe quite a bit. I really enjoy it. So that's a good pick. Uh, it's been fun to be in, yeah. Yeah. For me, so, in 2024, what I'm excited to get into are some super trainers that we're going to see soon. Uh, yeah, yeah. Particularly looking forward to the Cloud Monster Hyper from On. So they're putting uh, Piba Foam and a high cushion daily trainer that I already liked. And then the, also the one and done limited release Balos from New Balance. Um, oh, that's one I am excited about. Yeah. That is uh, one run and it's out. A, a single release, and I believe that's going to be an August shoe. Both of these appear like possible competition for the ASIC Super Blast. Mm -hmm. and as you said, a shoe we both love in that they're high cushion, but not heavy and still responsive super trainers. So I can't wait to give both those shoes a spin. So I'm curious, and you may not have the answer to this, but with that Ballos, I guess to give a little bit of background first, it, it's from what I've I've read, it seems like it's essentially a 1080, but with a Piba foam midsole. So very similar fit, very similar ride, very similar stack heights, but instead of the the fresh foam that New Balance uses, it has a like a Piba blend. To clarify, I've had it on my foot. I've had the sample mm -hmm. on my foot, Phil. It's a higher stack, I believe, but I could be yeah. wrong. But yes, it is a foam compound that I believe they could be testing in the way Brooks did with that Aurora a few years ago that became the foam they used in the glycerin. I believe there's a chance that this blend could become what fresh foam is in the future. Okay. And I guess that answers my question is what's the thinking of 
this being a one-off release, and it sounds like it's just a, a proof of concept idea where let, let's get it out there, get some feedback from the real world, and then mm-hmm. roll it out across across the line or across a bunch of different models. Yeah, and the these future. these single-release shoes, I think, are going to have more hype and traction going forward because of what Adidas did with that race shoe. Yeah, they yeah. put a shoe out at five hundred bucks. That was a limited release that you could wear for you know one or two races. Yeah, and they saw people run a world record in it, so everybody wanted it. They'll get the influencers behind this shoe from New Balance, and I think you could see some of the same ener- energy. Uh, I believe it's coming in at two hundred bucks when it comes out. I, I think that Cloud Monster Hyper is penciled in to be like around two ten. Mm. So th- these are more expensive than your daily trainers for sure. If they're similar to my experience with the Super Blast, they're worth the money, and that's a super durable shoe, also. Yeah, where well, I got I more miles. I've gotten a ton of mileage out of Absolutely. that. Absolutely, even though it's on the you know the higher end from a price wise, you know, on a dollar per mile perspective, it's still going strong. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Phil, I'll let you finish up. You also had a new gear item that you're super excited about. Why don't you share yeah, that? So something else I've been in a pretty good bit this as it's gotten colder was uh, a pair of the rabbit speedster half tights, um, which I know we both kind of have gravitated more towards the half tights, particularly in the, the cooler weather where shorts are not quite warm enough. And in the past, the, the Reggie half tight from Tracksmith has been real popular. I think with both of us and a lot of our listeners, the Nike Aeroswift is a great racing half tight, but I got these as kind of a, a warmer, pair to for these cooler months and i have been really happy with them uh, again they're made by rabbit it's a little bit thicker material than the the reggie by tracksmith if you're familiar familiar with that so it works in some colder temperatures uh it's lined which uh is buttery smooth mm-hmm. the pockets are a little bit bigger as well so you know it fits a like a lightweight soft shell or a you know a cell phone or multiple gels and the one nice feature over the Reggie's is that it has a drawstring. So you know, when you're loaded down with a couple extra gel packets or phone or what have you, they stay up nicely. That has been a really nice pair of shorts that I have gotten a lot of miles out of uh, in these cooler months. I've wanted to try these. I'm glad that you brought this up and endorsed it, Phil. I have wanted to try it. I'm with you. Drawstring to me is critical on the best yeah. half tights. They do a drawstring well on the uh, Aeroswifts from Nike. A drawstring um, and a liner makes liner. A yes, I am all for the liner, like for long runs, long racing. It looks, mm-hmm. as you said, a lot of pocket space here for the gels. They have those side pockets, which are pretty easy to access. But it sounds to me like cold weather tight. I don't think this is a half tight that I'm racing in in warmer conditions. Would you agree? No, uh, 100%. I think this really fits that sweet spot of 30 to 45 degrees. Okay. Um, you know, anything colder than, than 30, I am 100% in, in tights. Sometimes 35 to 40, I'll be in tights. But if I'm feeling soft or want to be a little extra cozy, <laughs> but this really fits that kind of temperature. Uh, over 50 degrees, they're probably a little too warm. Okay, um, yeah. But then you're you know, comfortably into to shorts or lighter materials and that sort of thing. Anything under 30, are you going full-length tights for racing too, Phil? Or is that just Ooh. for everyday running? I would say for everyday running. Uh, yeah, me too, because I don't think I'm going to go to tights at 
for a race at 25 degrees. A couple races in that, like 25, 26 degree temperature. And towards the end, I was quite uncomfortable, but I think I would have been uncomfortable on the other side if I had been in tights for that duration as well. So that's that's a tough temperature to get comfortable when racing. Yeah. All right. Well, good. I appreciate that, Phil. And we uh, look forward to when those shoes that I am excited about in 2024 come out, reviewing those for you, uh, getting some miles in so we can share our feedback on those. Uh, This has been great. Can't wait for the Olympic trials. Phil, have a wonderful vacation to uh, the most magical place on earth. I will be watching you on television as you uh, probably are in the lead pack with CJ Albertson and your good friend Clayton Murphy. <laughs> That's right. We'll be kicking down that first 800 singing, It's a Small World. <laughs> All right, buddy. Have a great trip. We will talk to you afterward. Everyone, have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you back here again next time.